Hello and welcome to Conversations with Kath, the podcast that keeps you up to date with the daily antics of your mother, your Alma, your friend, or whatever Kath Vanderhorst is to you. So grab a glass of Harvey Bristol, put the phone on silent, and let's see what's been keeping our favourite nine-year-old busy this week. It's a very good evening to Alma Kath. How are you tonight, Alma? Very well, thank you, Matt. How are you and the family? Yeah, no, we, we are really good. It's been a while since we've done one of these. Um, I believe the last one we did was an update or you're about to go potentially go and have a, a test for the upcoming or the surgery that was going to happen and that test never happened. There was a bit of a, a lag in, well, nothing happened for a long time now. But um, some wheels have been turning. So we've, we've got Uncle Pete here tonight as well. Evening, Uncle Peter. Hi. And we've got Tina as well, who's sitting with Alma, helping her out. So, Tina, good to have you on board. Hi. So, uh, we'll get straight into it. Uncle Peter, fill us in about well, what's, what's happened yesterday um, and where we uh, are at at the moment. So, uh, so yesterday we went down to um, Tarogan and did the, the, what do they call that? The, pre, the pre-op. Pre-admission. The pre-admission. Pre- pre-admission. Um, yeah, work. So, so, just to rewind slightly, Matt. When we had the last um, discussion, it was all on for a hip replacement in Warrigal. And mum was going off to have an echocardiogram um, at, at Monash Health in Dandenong, which she had, which was very arduous, wasn't it, mum? It was, it was you know, quite, quite a torturous thing. And then for some reason, it took them nearly two weeks to get the results. Um, and the anaesthetist wanted the results, and therefore we missed the surgery slot. It, they couldn't get the results in time, and, and it was called off. Um, and then, then there was a uh, COVID outbreak in, um, in Kuirup, where mum was then supposedly going to go and have her have a, um, rehab. Um, and, then, and then things started to get locked down all over the place again, and... We, we ended up going off the list completely for Warrigal because Warrigal didn't have the staff. We had another we had another date booked, a replacement date booked, and that fell over because they didn't have the staff. And at that point, they just said, "Look, yeah, you can't get it. You can't have this operation Warrigal anymore. It's going to have to be in Tarelgan, which was fine by us. It's a, it's an hour down the road. That's okay." Um, and um, and then we got a new date of the thirteenth of December. And, um, and so far we're, we're going, we're tracking well for that. So yesterday we, we took mum down to Tarelgan and they, oh, we spent probably two and a half hours, I suppose, mum. Yeah. You know, talking to various people. Well, to three and, hours, yeah. Yeah, they, they did, um, you know, they asked lots of questions and made a count backwards and, you know, generally try and figure out, you know, how well she, she sort of, you know, copes with everything at the moment. So that you know, when she wakes up from surgery, that you know they they sort of know you know what to expect. Um, so I guess you know how many marbles are missing at the moment, and that way they'll figure out after surgery whether there's more or less marbles missing. Missing. Um, so yeah, but but no, mum did very well, and um, and not only that, but um, you know she's in pretty good condition, and and it was actually um, borderline as to whether. After the surgery and the recovery from the operation itself, whether they would just send her back home again, or should she stay and and transfer across to their rehab area for for 
I guess a week or two, you know, to to you know to be rehabilitated, you know, get help with walking properly again and all that sort of stuff. So at that point, um, you know, I waited for mum to say something, and unfortunately, mum said, I'll, "I'll I'll stay and go to rehab, thank you," um, <laughs> which was which is what what I would have suggested if mum didn't say anything because we think it's pretty important that you know after the operation. Um, somebody is telling mum what they should be doing, you know, working with mum to, to get her back um, mobile again and all that sort of stuff. Um, so, yeah, I, I think um, at this stage, um, they're looking to possibly admit mum on the Sunday night before the operation on the Monday, the 13th, um, which would be really good if, if they did that rather than um, take her down early on the Monday morning. Um, and they like to do that just to just to get the patients ready and and that sort of stuff so so hopefully they'll 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 do that um however what it's going to mean is that mum will be in hospital uh there over christmas um right so yeah. okay so keep that recovery from the operation is going to be they said between four and seven days and then off to off to rehab uh, and rehab's in the same complex uh, as in the same hospital area, there's, there's a rehab wing. And then we expect that will probably be a, a, another two weeks or so. So I guess looking at that, you know, we're talking, um, you know, at the end of the first week of January, maybe um, we'll, we'll, we'll come back out. Right. Uh, a new hit for Christmas, Alma. Yeah, that's a present. I hadn't, hadn't thought about it like that. <laughs> now, now we did the um, Pete that podcast you alluded to at the start there we, we did on the 28th of September so that's nearly two months well pretty much two months to the day give it a couple of days so Alma how has your pain been over the last couple of months is it getting worse or okay no, well actually Matt there is no pain I think it's more discomfort than it pain. can't I can't walk right Okay. You know, a walking stick is no good anymore. I have to wander around with my trolley, take it everywhere. So you can, just, you can walk using, you can walk assistance. I can't assisted. walk. With the other assistance, I can't walk. Yeah, okay. You know, I need that, that trolley. The walking stick is no good anymore. And Doesn't what about getting up and out of your chair? Is that painful or is that... Okay. No, that's all right. I've got arms. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just grab the arms and the chair. Yeah. Yeah, and the toilet's okay because out. Bob put all, Bob put all uh, railings in it. So, you know, I hang on to that. Yeah. yeah. So, and you, and you've, had, you've had Tina there now for, for, for a while, haven't you? Helping out, which is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, so that's, yeah. It's great that she's available to be able to do that. Yeah, so. yeah. Nice one, Tina. So you'll be okay. So December 13th is, is the, the surgery date at this stage. With it's the big day, yeah. So far. A bit of rehab follow-up. Okay. And can people go and visit Pete while the rehab's going on? Like, uh, um, or not? I was planning to come down. I asked because I was planning to come down the 7th of January for a few days to stay at mum and dad with the prime reason to come and visit Alma. But if um, she might not be there. Yeah, we, we I think, Matt, they sort of, um, you know, they, they play it by ear a little bit. At the moment, I, I suspect they're not letting too many people on the ward. Mm. Um, they've said to me when I bring mum that I'll probably have to say see you later mum at reception Ooh, right. um, just just because they, they don't want anybody you know wandering around in there that potentially has got 
COVID germs or something like that. And now that there's a new one, um, you know, <laughs> they might even they might even be a bit more strict on right. that. So it's sort um, of yeah, yeah. what you yeah, but at this stage, we're we're certainly further than we've been before. Mm. Uh, so you know, fingers crossed, it'll it'll um, it'll continue, and and um, Mum will get her new hip for Christmas. So so yeah, that's where we're at with that one. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you very much for that update. And uh, everybody, remember, 12th of December, send all a nice little message. We'll give her a call to wish her well in her surgery. Now, Pete, the second reason we've got you on tonight's episode is I want to have a chat to you just a, bit, a little bit about your backstory and where you are in life and moving forward because you, everybody knows by now that you're retiring soon, um, I think at the end of this year, perhaps, but we'll get into yeah, that. Yeah, at, at, um, at the end of December. End of December. Okay. I'm officially retired. I'll, I'll do a little bit of work for them, but only very little. And as each day goes by, they're making it easier for me to feel like I don't want to do very much at all because, um, um, you know, the, the business that I, that I started back in the mid-80s, even earlier than that, in, in the early 80s, um, that sort of morphed into into building um, software for timeshare resorts um, and then you know, captured the whole of the Australian New Zealand market with our software system. Um, the, the company that we built up, they're slowly mm, squeezing it down to become just, just an IT department, just developing software. Um, and you know, being a, a business person, um, you know, I, that, that just, that just doesn't sit particularly well with me. So, so um, they didn't really try doing much with it while I was still there. But as soon as I said, well, that's it, I'm going to retire. Um, they started to work on um, cha changing the way things work and stuff like that. And, and from my point of view, I, you know, it just makes me feel quite happy to, to leave them with it now. Um, because it's not really the software is still the same, and and you know that's what I really like doing. But the business side of it is um, is has become extraordinarily frustrating. Um, yeah, to the extent that you know you've got a HR person and you've got accounts persons effectively running everything, and and you know I, I don't have a super high opinion of HR, um, so. And, and the one we've got is certainly uh, not, not elevating that opinion. So, so, so yeah, I have to be careful here because there might be somebody listening that yes. hate on one upset them. But yeah, you might be in a um, meeting, meeting tomorrow morning, Pete. Yeah, yeah. So, so basically, um, you know, a few things transpired in in uh, <clears throat> April, April, May of this year that made me just say, oh, "That's it. I'm I'm good now." So. Um, so I sort of organised it so that um, the managing director of the company was no longer required from the end of the year. So unfortunately, I had to be made redundant and um, I get paid out. So, so it's not all bad. Fortunately. <laughs> and, um, and then, you know, I, I think, um, you know, with, with COVID the way it is at the moment, it's all a little bit up in the air, but we've missed a couple of cruises to Antarctica that we should have done um, already. Like not not done a couple, but the first one was cancelled when COVID started, and then 
we rebooked and then it got cancelled. Um, that, that was supposed to be um, February this year and that got cancelled. Um, and we had a, a, another cruise booked, just a little short one on one of the, the Queen Elizabeths or one of those Queen Victoria, one of those canard line ships out of Melbourne. Um, and that got cancelled and, you know, we've sort of been pretty pretty locked down and not been able to go go anywhere. So um, the plan is that, um, you know, we, we're going to head, hopefully we're going to head to the UK and visit Dawn's parents because they're getting on a bit now uh, in January. And then, um, so that'll be, that'll be about three weeks or so. Um, and then when we come back, um, we probably won't do a lot. We might pop across to Tasmania or something like that, um, take the car over there and cruise around there for a week or, week or two. Um, and then we have a trip booked in June. So Robert and Tina are coming. Um, well, they're, they're not coming last as such. We're all going on this yep. trip. Um, and the trip is, um, there's a cruise for a week around, uh, up, up out of long, long, by long year. Long by year but... Yeah, I, I can never say it. <laughs> um, and and that, that's very far north. Uh, and that's an ex, and I can't even say this either, an exhibition, ex, expedition ship. Yes. So yeah. not a cruise line as such, an expedition ship. Um, you know, so it'll be full of um, nature people and you'll have lectures and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, we'll, we'll do that for a week. And then when that finishes, we then fly out of there and, and down to Amsterdam. And then we pick up a, um, a Royal Caribbean cruise out of Amsterdam up and do the Norwegian fjords and all of that sort of stuff. So go up, up around um, Norway, and then and then back down again. And then um, and then Robert and Tina want to spend a few few days before they head back in um, in uh, Holland. Um, just you know, travel around a little bit there. Uh, it's all a little bit up in the air. No, I don't think we've decided on anything in particular, have we yet, Tina? Or no, you, you don't might, think so. Might have a few things you want to go see, do but. Dawn and I, um, you know, when, when we travel with others, we're very much passengers. You know, we, it's not about what we want to do. It's about what they would like to do. And we'll, we'll go along and go along for the ride and things like that. So, so you know, whatever the guys want to do, we're happy to go off and, and, um, and, and do that as well. And then at this stage, we haven't decided whether or not we're going to then come back or whether we might pop back across to the UK um, Although um, they're trying to organise something for September, October, so you know we might end up back there. So have to be a little bit careful because um, flying backwards and forwards um, is probably going to you know wipe a little bit of time off the uh, the retirement income stream. I suspect. <laughs> well, um, coach Pete. <laughs> So yeah, so that, so that's that's and then um, and then we're still trying to get to Antarctica for 2023, and then the other thing that we we'd like to do is um, is we want to get a motorhome and and basically do the grey nomad thing and drive our way around um, around Australia uh, and and do that. Um, so yeah, so we've got plenty of things lined up that we want to do. Uh, Absolutely, you make not making up for lost time. Yeah, yeah, um, and I, and I still I'll still do set building and stuff like that. But 
Um, that was always on a Saturday because we worked all week. So um, hopefully we'll be able to, you know, most of the guys that do that are retired. So maybe we'll we'll switch that for a, for a weekday or something, something like that. Right. Um, and then there's still things to do around the house, although not so many these days, but, you know, we're doing the laundry at the moment and we're redoing all the front front yard and, you know, putting in fences, keep the dogs in and um, things like that. So, Jeez. so yeah, so that's... that's sort Surprise of you've got time for work anyway, Pete. It's probably a good thing you are retiring. Well, I, I haven't. I mean, I, I always thought as I was approaching this towards the end, there's so much to do and... A good a good few months ago, a couple of months ago, I was I was still doing you know fifty hour weeks, and on the weekend I'd just pop back to the office and type a few things in and run a few you know jobs and do a bit of work on a script or something like that. But now I'm starting to think on a, on a Sunday night, Monday morning, oh, I can't be bothered. I don't want to do this. Or you know we had Melbourne Cup where it was the holiday on the Tuesday, while the Monday I I couldn't get started. In the end, I just said, ah, oh, I'm not working today. I'm, I'm done. Um, so yeah, it's 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 got to the point where it's getting very hard now to to get excited about about doing a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of work. I'm doing some conversions at the moment. We um, one one of the things that we've been concentrating on the last well 12 months with the software uh, is North America. You know, getting the software up and running in North America. So. So we have um, we have three resorts signed, and I'm doing a conversion. In fact, one goes live in the morning. What um, one of those? Uh, there's two more, and then there's another two that that uh, have signed. I think have signed. We we're just waiting on the contracts to come back. Um, and then there's another really big one in New York that we're working with to see if um, if we can get them on board. We've done a conversion and shown them the system and all that sort of stuff. Um, so that, that one's sort of fairly exciting. And one of the things I always wanted to do with software was to get it into America um, and compete against some of the big the big systems over there. And that's pretty much what it's what it's doing. Admittedly, our parent company is a big American company, so they've made it easier. Yeah. But you know, it's still like they they they've given us a sales guy and he just he just prattles on and you know. Next thing you know, we've got a sale, but the trouble is he doesn't shut up and tells them about all the stuff that it's supposed to do that it doesn't. And then we just sort of sitting there going, great, now what are we going to do with that? So, but yeah, it, it's it's going all right. That that side of it is okay. And yeah, I'll miss that side, but the management side and and the, just the frustration dealing with the with the accountants and the and the and the HR people and all that sort of stuff, which they don't have any, and the HR person just goes, oh, well, if, if they leave, they leave, and we'll just get another person. Yeah. And sit there going, well, that's great for you, because all you've got to do is, you know, put up an ad and and do some preliminary interviewing, and I've I've lost somebody with two or three or five years experience that that can't be replaced, you know, in, inside 12 months. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's frustrating. So that's making it a lot easier for me to go, well, okay now now i've had enough <laughs> but yeah so that's that's pretty much where it is so i guess um officially i'm probably the first of this generation to retire would that be correct mum maybe yeah, yeah. That's about right. i think so yeah, yeah.
Yeah, they're all, they're all still working. Pete, I wonder if you can take us back because your your story is a bit of an interesting one because you, I guess, came into computers at the beginning, maybe of the well. I know they've been around since the in, in a large, such a larger form like World War II and, and things like that, maybe even before, but. When, when you were coming into it, it was started, was it starting to take off as more of a house? Not, not every house had one, but they were getting smaller and there was, you know, it was the Microsoft, no, Apple sort of wars. Was, no, so was it late when, 70s you came when, into it or early, early 70s? No, when, when I started, so, so what, what happened was um, um, I, I did, um, I wanted to be electronic, into electronics, you know, making, making electronic things. Um, and, uh, and I went off and did a preliminary in electronics engineering and, and that, that set me right up. They didn't do anything electronic in that year. And, um, and in the end, I spent half my time during maths classes in the cafeteria playing cards with a, a few other guys. Um, and, and come the end of the year, I thought, well, I'm not passing, so it doesn't matter. Um, and, and Dad got me a job uh, in the railways, you know, a summer job doing station assistant um, at Packenham and different places like that. And then, um, and then, uh, and we had a um, we had a, a clerk at the Packenham railway station that he was often late for work on a Monday because he'd had too much of a bender on the weekend, smoking his, <laughs> his smokes and other things like that. And in the end, they they gave him the flick. And they didn't have a booking clerk, and they basically and I at that stage I I was working in the Daniel um, district office doing various bits and pieces, and they asked they said to me, "How long did you go to school for?" And I told them, and they said, oh, "Oh, can you fill out all of this?" And I said, "Well, what's all this for?" And they said, "Well, you'd be perfect for the for the booking clerk's job at Packenham." So I said, "Okay." So I filled out all, all that paperwork and and uh, and I ended up being the booking clerk uh, for a little while. But um, Dad was relieving and, he, you know, he, he would go from one station to another and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, one day he found a, an ad in the paper about um, computer programming courses. And he said, oh, you, you, should go and, you should go and do this. Well, the, the course was, and this was back in 77, the course was $6,000. Like it was an extraordinary amount of money. Yeah. But we worked out how to do that. And, um, and I went and did the, the course. And um, I did quite well out of the course. And that kicked off my, um, my career in, in computers. And, and it started with programming, like computer programming. And, um, and I had, I had a, a couple of jobs. I, I, could, I could go work for ANSET. Um, and there was another job uh, with a, a little um, software bureau company that worked for building societies and that sort of stuff. Had had a mainframe computer and they did all the work for the building societies. Because mo most companies in those days didn't have their own computer; they were they were just far too expensive. Um, so they they would rent time on other people's uh, computers. So, so I I guess, can um, I just jump in there, Pete? Sorry. So. Yeah. I've seen this this ad in this paper about a computer course. Was, was computer like 
in the vocabulary much then? Like, did everyone know what a computer was? Was they, like, how did Alpen know exactly, oh, computers? Was it, was his thought of a computer what our knowledge of a computer is today? How different was no, it? No, no, it, no. It all, there were, this is pre-PCs. There's mm. no such thing as a portable computer, you know, or personal computer. It, it, they didn't exist yet. Yeah. Um, they didn't turn up until, until probably the 82, 83, somewhere around that mark. Um, there were some some out there, but they were they were really um, rudimentary. You know, they they didn't have disk drives. You know, they had a tape cassette player. You know, to, to read off and and stuff like that. And very 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 basic. Um, but the mainframes were all out there. The big the big machines that were you know took a whole house you know for a computer room to to run them in. And um, in and I so I did my programming course. And I went for this job and they said, yep, you can be an operator for 12 months and then you can move into programming. And the, the, the guy that was teaching us said, if you get the opportunity to be an operator and move into programming, then that's a really good pathway because you'll actually be working with the computer in the computer room and then later you'll be programming it. Whereas a lot of people skip that step and they don't even know what the hell this thing is down down you know on the lower floors or whatever it is because you're not allowed in there normally um so so the, it was that job and i went for an interview with ANSET and um and i and i and i took um uh, my girlfriend who then became my my wife um so it's lynn um and i said i've just got to go in and do this do this aptitude test and I get in in a room full of people and they sit everybody down and said okay you got three hours and I thought oh, I'm gonna get killed she's sitting in the car out in the street waiting for me and I said I won't be long and three hours and I thought oh no okay so, so I just and I and I gave it into them at 40 minutes later and I thought oh, it's, you know that'll, that'll be a mess all right but anyway so they 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 and what they were doing apparently, because um, I was the first person out of there, was they would then write the time down when they were handed in so that they, you know, they could go, well, how quickly did this person do this? Because if you got only half of it right, but you took three hours versus you got half it right and you only spent an hour doing it, then that that would obviously mean something. So so I get a call and they want me to come in and, you know, they talked about it all and they had my results and all that sort of stuff and that they were going to offer me a job and then I had to go and this is probably where I had HR. Then I had to go and talk to HR. Well, HR said, oh, well, you're too young. Because at that stage, I was 18. I just got my license. Um, and they they basically said, well, you know, you, you, we'll have to pay you as a clerical assistant. And I thought, well, I can't move to the other side of town as a clerical assistant. So I I then, and every time I, I came home, mum would go, those people want to know if you want that job yet. Remember that, mum? <laughs> Um, so this other company that I that I was offered a job at, right? Uh, they they kept saying, "Well, you know, you're gonna you're gonna accept the job or what?" Anyway, so I got home and I said, "Yep, no worries, I'll take that job." Well, of course, the next day, Anset rang back and said, "Oh no, no, so there, there's been a mistake, you know, HR, you know, they thought you were going for a different job and all that sort of stuff." I said, "Too late, I've taken this other one." No, no, but but and I said, "Doesn't matter, I'm taking this other one." I'm, I'm you know. Once I've committed to something, that's it. I've committed to it. So, so I spent uh, nearly ten months being an operator, 
and um, and you know, you know, when you you know changing the putting the boxes of paper in the printers and all that sort of stuff, and out comes someone's programming program, and you know you're leafing through it and you're looking at it and you go, oh my god, it's ten thousand lines. Look, oh my goodness. So I, all of a sudden there was a very rude awakening. I'd done a programming course. And then all of a sudden I saw real world programs. I thought, oh my God, we, you know, what we were doing was, was really very basic. You know, there's, there's, there's not basic in the language, but um, I, I, was, I became a COBOL programmer. Um, that's an old language, still around. Um, and old COBOL programmers can earn lots of money because there's only very few of them. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I looked at them and I thought, oh my goodness. But, you know, I started playing with them and, you know, you know, there was one department that had no programmers and they had a whole pile of programs and they made micro microfiche. So people would send in their tape and, it, you know, the, the microfiche, you know, the, the little, it's a little black square that they put like put under a projector and it's got like three or 400 pages on it. And, and you zoom in on, on a page. Now, like you see them in movies where, where someone goes into the archives to, to look in the old papers and they've got all these pages of the papers flying past on a screen. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, that's, that's basically microfiche. And the microfiche department had no programmer. So every time they needed something changed, they'd see if they could get an operator who might be interested to look at it to see if they could figure out what to change. So I ended up doing that sort of stuff. And then, then I ended up um, getting promoted off to the, um, the, the um, programming department. But when I, when I started as an operator there, they had four tape drives and four disk drives. And, and a you know, disk drive was like, was like a, like a small car wheel. That's how, that's, that's how big the disk pack was. And you take the pack off and put another one on. The computer had, when, when I went for my interview, it had 64 kilobytes of memory and when I, when I arrived and started, they put in another big cabinet, like a gray, a big gray double door cabinet. And that had another 64K of memory in it. Kilowatts. And this computer was like, when, when, when you hear people say, oh, um, you know, my, my wristwatch has got, or, you know, my phone's got more power than the early computers have. They're not kidding. I'll tell you, those big computers, right? They was they had such little power by comparison today that it was crazy. And the amount of power and, and heat that they produced and fans and all that sort of stuff. We used to have um, we used to get a manila folder and we'd cut a strip about I don't know about hundred mil thick a high out of a manila folder. And then you know when you make um, uh, a chef's hat, you sort of you cut all these little slots in it. Yeah, yeah. Right? So we would cut all these little slots in it and then we'd tape it so that it was a circle. And then we'd get the little slots and we'd either bend them in, usually bend them in, and then twist them on a 45 degree angle all, all the same way around. All right, so you picture that. Yeah. Right? And then we take them over to the power unit on, on the mainframe um, and the tops of these things. So this is like four foot high, these cabinets and the tops of them, uh, you know, if you pull the top off, it was just that plastic uh, with square holes in it everywhere. Um, and it was rigid plastic. So you could put something on the top of it. You're not supposed to, but you could, right? But it was to let the air out, the hot yeah. air out, right? So we would take these round things, right? And we'd take them over to the power unit and we just about, you know, two, 300 mil up off the power unit. We just hold them there and give them a little spin 
And that's it. They would stay there. And they'd stay there spinning because the hot air coming out of the mainframe would, would make these things spin. And then when the programmers came down with their card decks, so, you know, like they might have just written a program and it's got four, five hundred, a thousand lines of code in it, right? Um, and each each line of code is a is a card that gets you know holes punched out of it, right? Um, then this big card deck you know had a pile of rubber bands around it, um, and um, and usually some lines on it and things like that. Because because if you drop well, if you didn't like a programmer and you accidentally dropped their card deck <laughs> with a thousand lines of code in it, um, uh, they would take their their um, their their um, programming papers that they and take them back to the, the card punch operator and ask them to, to punch it again, making sure that the person that punched it originally was nowhere near them because they didn't want to be found out that they were getting it repunched. Because if you dropped their thousand cards of thing, there was no way they were going to sort them back into the right order. Because if you didn't have them in the right order, then you know the program was well, I wasn't going to do anything. But anyway, so the place was chock-a-block full of rubber bands, right? So the programmers would come down, they'd wait for their, you know, output to be brought to them, and they'd be picking up rubber bands and they'd be trying to shoot these spinning things down off the off the top of the um, the power units of the of the um, of the of the um, mainframes. So after the main, and, and we, you know, we, um, the company I worked for only had one mainframe, but very quickly they moved to a new purpose building um, that they built and the computer room was like 10 times the size and next thing there was another mainframe in there and then another one and next next minute they're, they're boring holes in the side of the building so that they can run cables and all that sort of stuff from one floor to the other so they could put another another um, mainframe on the next floor but but connect it all to the stuff down below and all that sort of stuff and and by then it was like probably 82, 83. And that's when the PCs started to turn up. PCs uh, are making their way into town. Now, Alma, when Uncle Pete was, was coming home from school and explaining all this all these things to you, I'm assuming Pete, you were still living with Alma at the time. Is that right? Yeah, he was still at home. Then, yeah. What did you think about all this? Because, I mean, these days, parents know what computers are when their kids come home and start talking about it. Everyone knows what a PC is. But for you, you wouldn't even know what it was. So did you sort of understand what he was talking about? Did he, did he, was it interesting? Like, what was the, what was your memory? Oh, not really much. I didn't really know anything much about it. He just get, went to work every day and came back at night. How was your day, Pete? That was yeah. really it. <laughs> <laughs> Opa was a bit more uh, switched on. Yeah. I think, um, I think one of, one of the things, Matt, was, for, the, for almost the first time, um, there was an industry there that that you could you could spend all day doing something, but if you flick the switch off when you left, there was no ev evidence of yeah. what you actually done. It was all it all lived inside this computer thing. So so it wasn't like you could say, um, you know, I'm building I'm building this building out over there, and if someone drives past it, they can see, well, look, he's progressing. You know, oh, look at that. You know, why did he do that? But you know, every, everything is sort of inside inside yeah. the things, and and I think, I mean, as I was saying before, you know, when when the PCs started to arrive, um, you know, I I went and got one that wasn't 
wasn't an, an IBM competitor because at that stage, the IBM or the IBM PC was, was such a clunky little boat anchor of a thing that it was useless, right? It, it, it you know, couldn't do anything. So I had a different one. And I went to the UK where, where this thing was designed. I mean, I didn't go specifically for that reason, but I tracked down um, the place where they, they were sold and all that sort of stuff. Um, because I had a really, really good magazine about all the different things you can do and all that sort of stuff. And, and when I got to the address, I'm looking around and I'm going, there's just boxes and stuff here. So anyway, this guy saw me there and he let me in. I said, what's happening? Is this the such and such place? And, and he goes, yeah, yeah, but yeah, we've, we've closed down. I said, I'm from Australia, you know, I've, I've come to, you know, to, you know, get magazines and that. And he says, Hey, I've got boxes of magazines. Take whatever you want. So, so, so I took whole sets of, of um, magazines for this computer that, that I had um, that I was writing. I was already doing moonlighting work. You know, I was writing little programs and running them for people because nobody had PCs. So I was running like we had a, um, um, a, a guy who, who um, sold medical equipment. Uh, normally lights, oh, yeah, radio, lights and all that sort of stuff and and he would he would send out um brochures and all that sort of stuff and we would manage all that for him we'd print the lists and we would stick all the labels on the envelopes and they'd come down to the post you know we'd, we'd bring it all down to the post office and fold them all and stick them in the envelopes and he'd pay for the postage and you know it was good business for the post office and all this sort of stuff um so so we we were sort of starting to do that work when, when I was in the UK, I bought, th this computer was, was quite sophisticated. It already had 128K of memory. And um, what year are we talking here, Pete? Are you over in the so UK? we're talking now 85. Right. And then when I, when I so in, while in the UK, I bought another 384K of memory for 400 pounds in 1985. Like memory was astronomical. Wow. Um, and you know, we we I put it in this machine and I was using it. And then one day I thought, you know what? I need to get myself an IBM compatible. And I went and bought one. And from that day onwards, I almost never touched that thing again. In fact, it's still sitting up in the roof in the in the house. <laughs> so I'll pull it out one day and it'll be a it'll certainly be a museum piece. Um, but you know, once, once I, and I was still a mainframe programmer at that stage. And, and the thing about, um, you know, the life cycle of being, being in IT and mainframe programmer, programmers and all that sort of stuff is that you sort of start out where you don't really know what you're doing. And somebody writes a specification for what they want and they give it to you. And then you've got to follow the specification. And when it doesn't work properly, well, it's not your fault. They, they told you exactly how they wanted it done. So you you know you 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 sort of after a while you go, hey, you're asking me to do this. Is that what you mean, or should we do this instead? And they'd go, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, do that then. Then after a while you'd go, what does it say? What just give me the, give me an overview, right? Um, and you go, all right, leave it with me for a while. So you'd write the program from what they said they wanted, and then after a while, you know you'd. You wouldn't even, you would end up just writing the programs because somebody somebody else asked for them, the users asked for them. And then you sort of, and all the way along you go, all I ever want to do is write great programs.
programs, right? It's fantastic. It is so rewarding to write a program to, to do what you, you know, what, what you want and how quickly you can get it to go the way it should do and all that sort of stuff. Um, till eventually you start going, I don't want to write this all again. You know, I just, if I think of what I want done, then, then I, you know, that should be enough. I, should, I shouldn't have to actually write it. So then you'd start telling others that, oh, I need you to write me a program that does this. And you'd, all right, I'll write it down for you. So you'd write, and all of a sudden you realize, hang on, I'm the person that was, that I used to complain about who would write me a specification that was only, you know, uh, you know so so, you know. So, so after a while, you, you know, you'd, you'd sort of work your way up through that process. But, but along the way, I, I started to do a lot of work. Um, of my own after hours on computers and all that sort of stuff, and then and then the you know the I I, I left that company and I, I went and worked for another one, and um, while before I left they sort of said look we've got a couple of these little clients and you know they only make us twelve thousand dollars a quarter and they you know we don't want them anymore and all that sort of stuff, you know it's your job you go tell them to bugger off right we we don't want them anymore. Well, you can't tell the client that and they go, yeah, but, 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 you know, you're the only people that can run our stuff. You know, you've got the software. You... So, you know, I'd sort of sit there and go, well, let me go read some contracts, right? So you read the contracts and, you know, they, it's their data. And, and I convinced these people, the company I worked for, that if you want them to go, right, you can't just say, here's your data and, and nick off. You, You've got to give them something to run the data with the, the program, mm. and they said, "Well, how's that going to help them? They don't have a mainframe." And I said, "Well, I write I write COBOL on the PC these days. Maybe I can help them a little bit. Is that okay?" Oh yeah, hey, as long as we get rid of them, this twelve thousand dollars a quarter is a waste of our time. We're not interested in that. So I converted those programs to run on a PC, and that system I knew that system pretty much like the back of my hand. So. So I converted that stuff and along the way, I bought a tape drive. So now I have my own tape drive, you know, with tapes turning and all that sort of stuff. And I could read mainframe tapes. So I converted all the programs, I wrote a program to convert the programs to the PC. And we got this, I got this application running. And then I ran it once a month for them and I think, I had a couple of those running and I was getting six or seven hundred dollars a month just to just to run it. They'd do all the data entry, wrote some screens, they'd punch all their data in. So I became this mini bureau. Um, so I did I did more of that and then I worked at a at a, at another place. And then after a while they annoyed me. What what annoyed me was upper management would dictate what you needed to do. And the problem was that the people who were in upper management with a failed lower people and they just yeah. they you know they, they could have a good lunch with the boss and the boss thought they were great and they promoted them and they knew nothing and then they tried to tell the real people that knew what was going on you know how they should be doing their their job and in the end i just said no nah, not interested in that we'll go on. we're going and myself and another guy we left and we started up some stuff of our own and then we started writing more for the PCs and all that sort of stuff. And then it just, I, all of a sudden I was, I was working completely for myself and that sort of thing. Got a fantastic contract for the government. 
converting um, in Victoria metropolitan area, converting all the all the um, parliamentarian offices from DOS, so DOS 6.11 to Windows 3.1. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, and I negotiated, uh, one, one of my clients was a, was a recruitment agency for IT people. And I looked after their computer systems. And they said, oh, we're looking for a person who could do this. You could do this. I said, yeah, but I'm busy. And they said, yeah, but, but we, need, we need to fill this role here. And you'd be excellent for this role. I said, I don't know anything about that. I don't know anything about Windows. You know? They said, well, it can't be that hard. I said, all right, well, what's the deal? And they said, well, you know, you've got to go four days a week, you've got to go to a, a different parliamentarian's office and, you know, convert their system across. And there's about 30 that you would do in Melbourne metropolitan area. So how do I, what, what do I get paid? And they go, well, I don't know, uh, an hourly rate. I said, no, no, I don't want an hourly rate. It's a pain. I hate hourly rates. How about how about we we make it per site, All right? So so how, you know, and and we worked out five hundred dollars a site to go in and do all this work. Lucrative. I thought, oh well, that's all right. They thought, well, I'm not sure whether they'll do it, but hey, you know. But they said, yep, they've agreed. So I had to go off to Canberra to to um, the department of whatever it was. And we all sat around the classroom and um, and the, I'm going to the guy next door. They said, they said, go into file manager. Where's that? How do you do that? He goes, it's bloody windows. Yeah, yeah but and anyway, show me how to get I'm thinking, oh my God, I, I don't know anything here. So so we did this for, for two days and it was swapping hard disks and pulling network cards out, putting them in, put, sorry, putting in network cards because we're networking all the pieces, all, all this sort of stuff. And I thought, oh, well, I can do that, that stuff. So they said, okay, now you've seen how we want you to do it. And there's a 30 page checklist and all this sort of stuff. Um, what we'll do is we'll, we'll come down when you're ready to start and we'll do two sites with you just to make sure you're under control and then we'll, we'll let you loose on it. Okay, yep, that's good. Now. Anybody got any ideas? We've worked our way through this process and we think this is pretty foolproof. Anybody got any ideas on, on any improvements or anything like that? So I stuck my hand up and I said, um, if I had a Novell server and I did, and I described what I was gonna do, right? They go, well, yeah, yeah. Well, nobody's got Novell servers. Come on, you know, realistically, you know, anybody got any ideas of how you could do this? And I thought, I'm going to do this this way. <laughs> so when, when, when we did the first two sites, like the first one I'd, I'd finished in about four hours um, and, the, and the guy said, okay, well, I'll meet you tomorrow at this other one. And I said, can I do any prep work? He said, I don't care what you do. You can prep for the next day if you want. So the next day, you know, we got three quarters of the way to it. And he goes, you know, if I ring the airlines now and see if I can get my flight changed, because I was going to go back tomorrow, I'll go back today. Is it? You'll be right, won't you? I said, yeah. So as soon as I'd left, I, I set myself up and I could walk into one of these places. And all I had to do was open up all the PCs, put a network card in them, put a floppy disk in all numbered, and because you were going from one, you know, from the Liberal Party to the Labor Party and all that sort of stuff, right? 
Um, so that and so I plugged my laptop into the to the cabinet, you know, where all the cables were and everything. And then I, I just put these floppies in, boot the PCs, and then the floppies would do all the work. They'd copy all the stuff up, and when they'd finished, I'd just pull out the hard disk, put in another one, and copy it all back down again. And after after each each site you'd go to, the next day you would you would have a trainer come along. So, and and you had to send in your paperwork, like you know, 30 pages of tick, well, all the stuff you've done. So send all this stuff in. But it, it, it started to get embarrassing because I'd ring them up, say, what time can I come in? And they'd go, oh, well, we open at eight. Good, I'll be there at eight. All right? Don't want to just disturb you all day. So, so by about 11 o'clock, I'm filling out my paperwork and, and filing it, right, and sending it in. And then and then the trainer would ring me up, say, can I come out this afternoon? Sure, you can come out now, I'm done. So, <laughs> so after a while, I thought, oh, shit, I can't, I can't send this paperwork in anymore you know by midday because they're paying me 500 bucks a day to do this work right so i i i would then send the paperwork in from the next site but then what happened was they they started to run into trouble in sydney in metropolitan sydney so they 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 organized with my um agent to see whether or not i had some free time to go up to sydney to to do some sites up there so I said, oh, right, well, how will that work? And they said, well, well, we'll pay you an hourly rate for your travel, right? So fly up and all that sort of stuff. Um, and we'll still pay you your $500 a site. But John Houston's office is four PCs and they're normally only three. But then Tim Fisher's office is only one because that's because he's based in Albury. Um, and Gough Whitlam's and Bob Hawke's offices are only two because they're ex-prime ministers. I said, all right, I'll, I'll do them all. We'll just, we'll just call them each a site, even though one's four and the others are two. And, and don't worry about the travel. Okay, yeah, that sounds all right. Ah, but there's a holiday in Sydney right, on the Wednesday. So um, you'll need to stay over and, and finish off on the Thursday. So I'm, not, I'm not doing that. That's ridiculous. So I went up to Sydney and did John Houston's office, then went over to Tim Fisher's office, and then the next day did Bob Hawke's office and Gough Whitlam's office, and then flew home again. And then they were sending me into country Victoria, and then they said, oh, well, you can go and do Tim Fisher's office in Albury. I said, well, how will that work? And they said, well, how long will it take you to drive there? And I said, four hours up and four hours back. And I said, oh, well, we'll just charge you another another site then we'll make it two sites oh, okay so so by the time i'd done this contract and and pretty much all of them went perfectly except one malcolm fraser's site so ex-prime minister again yeah right? and um and we lost we lost his uh, ball stud records that were, were on, on the computer because well they, they never backed anything up and we were supposed to back start. Every time you went to a site, the first thing you were supposed to do was back them up. And they never backed it up. And you had these tapes. And the tape had a little hole in it, you know, like 20 metres from the end of the tape. And a little, a little light would shine through this hole and say, well, I've seen the end of the tape, you better stop. But, of course, they never used the tape drive, so it was all full of dust. So when the light shone, it didn't see anything. And every time they tried to do a backup, it just ran the tape off the end and there was no backup. So I said, don't worry about backup. I'm backing it up to the server anyway. And unfortunately, 
they had a invalid directory name or something like that and Novell left it behind. And then when I brought it all back onto a new hard disk or wiped the hard disk and copied it onto it, it was missing. I said, well, where's your backup? And they said, oh, oh yeah, we've got a backup. And they pulled out the five and a quarter inch floppy and said, it's, this is the last one we've got. And I said, when's that from? And they said, oh, the last time the computers were changed. I said, there are no, there are no disk drives that will read this. They're five <laughs> and a quarter floppy. It was, you know, like it was huge. I mean, I've seen an eight, eight inch floppy in the old days, but you know, they, they, we were now down to the three and a halves in the, in the hard cases and stuff like that. So, so yeah, and, and in the meantime, I'm, I'm writing software. I got involved in Timeshare and started writing software for, for a time Timeshare resort that I owned at. And, um, and then that sort of took off. And I, you know, I ended up, I, I went off to Timeshare conferences and I'd tell people what the system did. And then somebody would say, oh, can it do this? And I'd go, oh, I could probably do it. And then the next conversation I'd have with somebody else, it was doing that. And then when the conference was over, you'd get on the airplane and sit there and you'd go, oh my God, what have I promised everybody I can do with this software? And then I'd have to sit there and write it all and you know, do all that sort of stuff. But you know, it, it, it sort of all took off and there was, there was myself to start with. And then there was another guy that came on board to, to write other stuff. And uh, he worked with me for, for a while for nothing. Um, and then I, he ended up being employed. Um, and then he ended up being um, a half owner of the company. Um, oh, Barry. Yeah, Barry. And then, and then, um, and I gave him half the company and the company had money in the bank. And, um, and then a few years later, he said, ah, oh, I want to sell my half. So we were organizing to sell his half to someone else. And then I thought, hang on, I don't like the way this is going to go. So, um, so we, pulled the plug on that sale and he said, well, I still want to sell it. So I bought it back off him and he's, he's still employed by the company to this day. Yeah. And, then, and then in 2014, um, our biggest client, uh, who, who by the way had a bigger IT department and they weren't writing software, they had a bigger IT department than we, we were as a company. Um, we, we had some conversations and in the end, um, they bought they bought the company and I stayed on and then I ran all their IT and spent half my life in Queensland going backwards and forwards. Yes. So it was 2014. But as it turned out, what they did is they already had an exchange company. So the other side of the timeshare industry from what our software was doing, except we wrote their system as well. So we had two, two systems in the timeshare industry, one for the resorts where you went and stayed and the other for the exchanging when you didn't want to stay at your resort and you wanted to go somewhere else, you gave your week to this company and they gave it to someone else and you got someone else's week and you went to their resort. So that's exchange software. So, so we already had the exchange company as our client and then they, they bought them as well. Actually, they didn't buy them really. What they, what they would do is they'd go to them and threaten them <laughs> and make a half, a half, you know, half join with them and give them all their business which, you know, sometimes that would work. Now, they wanted to do the same with us, and I said, no, no, I'm not doing that. Um, and eventually, they came, to the, they came to the party and they purchased us. But what they did is they then took us and the other exchange company that we provided the software for and bundled us together and sold us on to a big American corporate giant company, 8,000 staff and things like that. 
Um, and that, that happened in, uh, in just over four years ago now. And I've been continuing to work um, for them running our business. The business, you know, is now 19, 19 staff. Um, five of those, six of those are IT help, help us, you know, physical IT people, networking, infrastructure, servers, and all that sort of stuff. Um, there's, there's probably about six or seven develop, software developers and several testers and all that sort of stuff, uh, support people and all that sort of thing. Yeah, wow, that's, that's quite large. Yeah, so, so you know, it, it, it turned into a reasonable-sized company. Um, and did that mean, and, Pete, while you were um, doing all this timeshare software that you were able to holiday at these resorts or, or spend some time with them to, to set them all up and take <laughs> the family up and so the kids got to go to different places around the sort of... Yeah, yeah, and, and that happened um, That happened a lot. Mum used to come along as well, um, a lot of them. Um, and, and then the funny thing is, um, you know, we, we went to places in Port Macquarie right, reasonably often. Um, and, then, and then one time we went, you know, we, we, I, think, I don't think mum came this time, but it was, it was Dawn and Lewis and Steph by then they were, you know, growing up. Um, and I only had a little bit to do there. So, so I, we went for the week and they said, oh, we'll come for the week and, you know, all that. So after I'd done my work and I said, well, I've got a couple of days off now. What do you want to do? Do you want to go here or there? They go, no, we've done that. We've done that. We've done that. We, no, we're going to just sit around. The, we're just going to stay at the resort. We're going to sit by the pool or something. I'm thinking, what the? So <laughs> all this time, they'd been off holidaying at all these different resorts while I'd been there, you know, putting systems in and training staff and all of that sort of stuff. And then eventually when, when I didn't have to do that anymore, um, you know, they, 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 that's it, they, they'd finished. <laughs> when we went to Port Macquarie to do the actual software installation there, um, Steph was a month old. Wow. And when I went there to do the demonstration of the software, uh, you know, I, I hired I hired a portable computer. It was like like the size of an old big Singer sewing machine in a case, about as heavy as that. Um, I flew to Sydney. I then hopped in a little aeroplane right with this thing. Um, got to Port Macquarie. Got to the resort. I had a tie on and everything. You know, it was it was crazy. Um, and they said, oh. RCI here demonstrating their system um, and they're running a bit late. So can you wait for a while? You go for a walk or, or whatever. And I'm thinking, oh, I mean, RCI, well, they're the company that owns us now. They're this huge corporation, you know. Here I am, just me with this bloody old, you know, not old, but a portable computer that almost needed wheels. Um, and and they, they basically bumped me to, to let them and then when it was my turn, the manager said, um, we've got data we need to convert across. And I said, oh, yeah, where's your system? And they said, oh, it's on this computer. And I was like, doo, 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 doo. oh, yeah, that's, that's, I think it was DBase 2 at the time. Yeah, DBase 2, and I typed in a couple of mark, commands and stuff. I was going, yeah, that's a piece of cake for that. No problem with that. And they said, what about these computers over here? Do you think we could use those? And I looked at it, and in the old days, the, the desktop computers have two buttons on the side. If you press the buttons and you just lift the top up, you know, they, they were hinged, right? So you should, 
yeah, no problem. We can do that. Yeah, this one will be good. That one will need some memory, but it'll be fine. Yeah, we can do that. Put a file server in. Yeah, yeah it'll be fine. Yeah. Um, so they said, all right, give us a written proposal and we'll get back to you. So about a month later, they contacted me and said, um, it's all approved, go ahead. And I got talking to them later and I said, I don't understand. I, I assumed that there was no way I was going to get this because RCI is a big corporation and they would have had that right now. And the guy goes, no, nah, they're a bunch of idiots. Basically, they said, you're going to rekey all your own data. We're not going to help you with any of that. And you'll have to get rid of all those PCs um, and buy new ones because they're not going to do anything. They're, they're no good for you. Uh, I said, okay, well, fair enough. And I don't know what the price was, but yeah. And, and, and the thing was, when, when this system went in, they said, oh, we're not going to do any front desk reservations and we're not going to do any rental bookings. And by the end of the week, they're going, oh, how could we do those? And I'm going, well, leave it with me for a little while. And I'd be there every night writing more programming and this sort of stuff. And then before I left, I told them how we would go about doing this sort of stuff. And they said, oh, okay, well, that'll be good if we can do that. And, um, and they've been on the system for 30, 30 years this year, this March. Wow. And, and we, the only, the only resorts that we, that we don't have using our software that got started, like we've had one or two that, that, you know, they, they, they never really implemented it and then they just disappeared, right? There's a couple of those, uh, one in the UK and, and um, well, one in the UK, I think it's the only one. Um, but every other resort that started using our software that is still in business is still using a version of our software. Um, now, they might be part of a management company um, because one of the things that was happening was because all the resorts were using our software, then this big company, the one in Queensland that ended up buying us, they would go around and they'd, they'd convince the board of directors of each one of these resorts that they should manage them. And they could do that because they were using our software and the little resort was using our software. And all they needed me to do was plot their data into the main system and now they were all being run out of the one system. So they, they just kept scooping up these, these smaller resorts into into the same system and that made that system really really big and we've, we've got a big a big company out of out of asia in indonesia and that using our software and, and then we got all the new zealand resorts but the industry's in in decline now so there are a number of resorts that are that are winding up now they've been around for 35 years or more and all the members are getting really old and if you get them all together for a vote on a wind up um, you know, quite often they'll they'll accept the wind up and and the resort will get sold off. So mm. you think so you know, with, with COVID now kicking in, a lot more people sort of travelling domestically. The um, the market. Yeah, up well, again. one of the things um, I was I was on the board of two. Actually, I've been I was on the board of the original resort that I own now, um, and then got off that board. And then I own at two different resorts now, and I was on their board of directors until uh, RCI bought the company. And when they bought the company, they said, conflict of interest, you've got to get off, yeah. which I tried to dispute. But, I, but in the end, I couldn't, and it, it wasn't worth losing my job over it. 
Um, so I got off. Now I'm back on the board of one of those because I'm, re I'm retiring and I've basically said, well, I'm retiring and they'll let me back on after I'm, I'm finished, but you know, I just I just went back on the board. Um, but one of the things about COVID is that, that the really good thing about timeshare resorts is that you pay your maintenance fee for the management and upkeep of the property. And part of that is a cleaning component and you get to stay at the resort for a week. Now, because the resort's been closed a lot and because the borders have been, um, different borders have been closed. So what, what for, for the resort up in Mildura, so typically what happens is um, they get a lot of rental traffic out of, out of um, Melbourne and they have a lot of timeshare owners out of Adelaide. And because the border in South Australia was closed to Victoria, the South Australians couldn't use their timeshare. And because regional Victoria was open to Melbourne for a lot of the time, everybody wanted to go and stay somewhere out in the country. So they would rent at the resort. So the resort ended up with all this rental income. Um, now they have an, a liability because a lot of members now need to use their week, but you know, they'll solve that problem over time. But in some, in some sense, it's, it's been quite good for some of these resorts because they've actually been able to um, accumulate. They've been able to do their maintenance when people were not there. So therefore they, you know, they had um, full access to the property to, to do renovations and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then when the properties came out of lockdown, everybody was dying to, to go stay somewhere. So they would rent. Um, you know, they had a lot of timeshare owners come as well, but you know, in some regards they've done, they've done reasonably well. And the other thing that, that really did well for them was the government was just handing money to people left, right and centre. Well, I guess traditionally places like that may be, you know, vacant for X percent of the year usually, but in, in a period of COVID when there's only limited spaces, places you can go within your own state, yeah. they're probably at full capacity. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, timeshare resorts are typically much higher occupancy than hotels or, or other resorts because the members own there and they, they pay an annual fee for the upkeep of the property for which they get their, their holiday. So they will typically go there um, and they will be usually very full by comparison to a, a normal property where they've got to compete on the open market for, for somebody who thinks, oh, I'll just look them up on the web or, you know, something like that. Whereas, you know, we've got a ready-made base of, of members who are, who are due to take their holiday at the resort or give it to an exchange company and the exchange company will, will send someone in their place. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember the days of, um, do you remember Eildon, Alma? Yes, I do. <laughs> you, you went there too, Matt, didn't you? I did, yeah. Yeah, as a very, very young child. But um, I remember seeing yeah. a lot of photos. And I, I even think maybe, um, some photos of maybe Alma Core and Kun, maybe when they were out at some point. Yeah, might have taken there. As well. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There was horses there that you could ride. Yeah, some kayaking yeah. as well. Yeah, they, they disappeared after um, after a while. Got too 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 expensive to keep them, but also um, oh, okay. liability yeah. and stuff like that yeah. became became a bit of a problem. So, mm. well, it's such yeah. a um, such an interesting story to to go. I mean, we've heard a lot of people's backstories, but I guess for me, this one, having grown up with computers and Uncle Pete, I remember. When we were going up, you were always the one who sort of 
just to come and install and get the computers up and running in our house. Um, yeah, it's just interesting to see how it all how it all began. How it all. I think you know. I often used to get asked whether or not um, you know I I I wanted my kids to go into into computers and that, and I sort of I, I never really wanted them to, and, and neither of them did. Um, and um, and the, the the real reason, from my point of view, you know, when when we were writing programs in the old days when the computers were so so underpowered by comparison to today. You actually had to know what you're doing. You had to be very efficient about what you did. Whereas these days, it doesn't matter. You, you, you know, you, people don't write programs the same as they used to in the old days. They just write stuff and they give it to a, um, an interpretive compiler and it just turns it into something that will run. And it doesn't matter that it's not particularly efficient because the machines get more and more powerful. And if it's not running fast enough today, then you know, in three weeks' time when they put in a new whatever it is that they're going to add to it, it'll it'll go faster then. Whereas in our day, we couldn't do that because the mainframe would literally cost millions and millions of dollars and you couldn't make the thing go much faster without spending another couple of million dollars on it. Um, so you actually had to be very efficient at, at, um, at what, you, what you did when you were writing the programs. Um, and, you know, you, you had to know what your resources were. And that's why when I started and I said, you know, the, the computer room had four tape drives in it. But if you were doing a, um, a master file update, so you were reading in a whole pile of records off, off a tape and you had to write a new master file. So next week when it all ran again, it, they used the new master file. And then you had your transactions that you had to apply to these master records. And they were on another tape, that's three tape drives. So that left you with one tape drive in the computer room for someone else's work to be using. Well, you know, there's not a lot you can do with one tape drive. So, you know, you had to be really careful. So, you know, one day when, when I, in the early days when I was an operator and somebody wrote a program that wanted four tape drives, you know, as an operator, we would write them a very nasty note and say, why do, they think, why do they think you can use up everything that's in the computer room just for yourself? Think about what you're doing and do it properly next time and give them back their back their stuff you know but yeah there's there's a lot of, a lot of funny things that used to happen and um you know stuff like that in in the old days in the in the computer room and you know yes i know it's def day, definitely but, changed isn't it compared to oh, yeah, getting yeah, faster and smaller and yeah excellent um all right we're coming into another Two minutes to go, then it's um, have to get out again. Well, Pete, that's um, yeah, thanks for um, sharing all that. I bet you Ulf was quite impressed when he heard you in the Frasers and Hawks and Fisher's office. <laughs> that would have uh, <laughs> you would have enjoyed hearing that, yeah. It was, it was always good, you know, telling him what, what, you're, what you're up to and all that. He's always, he was always interested, yeah. So all right, Alma, all the best yes, with your upcoming surgery. We don't have another podcast before then. Thank you, Matt. All Hope goes all. well. And yep. we'll, um, we'll definitely you. check in. If we don't check in before, we'll definitely check in after. Um, yep. to, or we might have to have a podcast without you, even if, you, if you're in hospital, but to find out how you're all going. But we'll, um, we'll definitely check in either way. Yep. So. All right. Thank you, Matt. All right, Tina, looks like you've got a few weeks off while she's in hospital. 
Yeah, I get to go home. Yeah. Holiday. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for um, looking after it, Tina. Oh, yes, Tina, thank you very much. Yeah. And Pete, thanks for um, coming on, giving the update and um, taking Alma to these, these visits and um, sharing your, your story. It's been very enjoyable. No worries. Thank you. That's it for Conversations with Kath for this week. Happy birthday to Paul, who turns 30-something today. So. Happy birthday, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> All right, have a great week, guys.